Immediately following this service, there will be a committal service at the Mount Pleasant Cemetery here in Houghton. And immediately following the committal, the family invites you to join them for a luncheon in the church community room. And they look forward to sharing this meal with you and a chance to visit with some of you that they might not have had the opportunity to do so yet. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you also shall live. We have gathered here today to praise God and to witness our faith as we celebrate the life of Lyndall Hutton. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. During this time, may God search each of our hearts, that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow, hope, in death, resurrection. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being here in this place with us today. Thank you that even in the face of death, we experience you as the giver of all life. In this hour together, help us to worship you with all of our hearts. Help us to hear your words of grace and comfort. And we ask all of this through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. As uh, Lyndall's oldest son, I was blessed by God with a uh, wonderful father. I want to read now a psalm and a song of blessing to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, So great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. 
he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant and those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his who do his pleasure. Bless the, wor- bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
Hi. Um, first, I'm going to read a letter from Aunt Geneva, uh, Dad's sister, who wasn't able to be here. Uh, and then I'm going to tell about some of my memories of my dad. Um, Aunt Geneva lives in Florida, and she's elderly and wasn't able to travel. She's married to Paul Ferris, who was one of Dad's good friends and neighbors when they were growing up together. So, dear Hutton family, descendants, and friends, I am honored to be related to you, the Lyndall Hutton descendants, all of you good Christian believers and achievers. My brother Lyndall and I were two of a kind with an older half-sister, Elsie. There was only one cousin with the Hutton name, Henry Hutton. Grandfather Henry Hutton was born in England in 1837 and sailed to America and landed in Boston, Massachusetts in March 1849. He was a boy of 12. You could conclude that the name of Hutton was about to die out, except that the Lord had other plans. And here you are today at this service, thanks to Lyndall and Ruth Hutton. There are lots of Hutton descendants. Lyndall and I grew up on a Vermont dairy farm during the Depression. We never lacked for food or other essentials. We played croquet, went swimming in Harvey's Lake, and on family picnics. We also worked. We had our mother for a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse. We attended church regularly. We were both saved through Nazarene-led revival meetings at the West Barnet Grange Hall. I learned a lot from my brother Lyndall growing up, even though he liked to tease me. I am sorry that we haven't lived close enough to see each other except when traveling through from west to east, or they took a long trip and visited us. Ruth was a wonderful sister-in-law, and I loved her very much. I thank each of you for helping make Lyndall's last years comfortable with your loving help. I am sorry that it is impossible for Uncle Paul and me to be with you today. Lovingly, Aunt Geneva Hutton Ferris. Now, for my memories. My dad was somewhat reserved, not one to express his feelings or affection outwardly. But we knew that he loved us because he spent time with his family. I'm Nancy Joe, the oldest of the six Hutton children, so I can remember things farther back than the others. I remember some good times with dad when we lived on the Houghton College farm. When I was about five years old, I remember walking out to the barn with him reaching up and holding two of his fingers because his hand was so much bigger than mine. I remember looking down from a high vantage point as I sat riding on his shoulders. I remember getting horsey rides on his back in the living room of our farmhouse. Once in a while, my brothers and I would get to ride with him on the tractor. One time, he was whistling in the kitchen, and I asked him, Daddy, why are you whistling? He answered, because I'm happy that I have three children. That made me feel happy, because I knew I was one of them. Dad liked to do outdoor things with his kids. We would take Sunday afternoon hikes through fields and woods. Dad loved trees. He would teach us the names of all the trees that we saw, then test us to see if we remembered. I can still identify many local trees by their leaves, bark, or shape. Um, I remember camping out with Dad one night in the open shell of our new house that Dad was building on Fancher Drive. It was exciting to think about how our house would look when it was finished and we could move the family in. Um, we, I remember lying in our sleeping bags on the bare plywood flooring 
and listening to the eerie cooing of a morning dove. And Dad had to explain to me what it was. I remember another camp out with just Dad and me on the hill behind our house. We put our sleeping bags next to our little campfire and talked about things and looked at the brilliant star-filled sky above us until we fell asleep. I was very excited when every summer our family piled into our station wagon and drove to West Barnet, Vermont. There we visited Grandma Hutton and Dad's old home, neighbors and relatives. I shared a unique status with Dad because I was born in Vermont, which made me the only other true Vermonter in the family. (laughs) The rest of you are all flatlanders. (laughs) I shared with Dad a love of Vermont. I enjoyed walking with Dad over the beautiful old farm on the side of Harvey's Mountain and looking at the expansive view of the green mountains. He could name each one of those mountains. And here on your program is the picture of, the, of Harvey's Mountain where Dad grew up. And the farm was on that mountainside. I enjoyed picking wild raspberries with Dad on the mountainside and swimming in nearby, nearby Harvey's Lake. I also have memories of summer projects organized by Dad, of painting and fixing up houses to sell, cutting and burning brush, thorn brush, to clear off the land and planting trees. I enjoyed many hikes over hills and fields, just the two of us sometimes, measuring boundary lines with a steel tape measure to subdivide lots. Then there was the time when I was struggling with the decision of whether or not I should marry David Pullen. I felt nourished and warmed by Dad's love and acceptance during a difficult time. He gave some succinct practical advice. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. He who, he who risks nothing gains nothing. <laughs> so I took a big risk and I gained a whole lot. And I'd like to tell you about one other bit of pithy advice I heard from Dad. One time when I was a teenager, we were all riding the car together with Mom and Dad in the front seat, as usual. And I asked them, does it ever get hard to find each other attractive when you get getting older and getting wrinkles and stuff? And Dad looked over at Mom with a grin and said, I just look at the forest more than the trees. I'm Tim, the middle child. Um, My dad set a great example to me and my siblings, not so much by what he said over his lifetime, but by his actions. I find that now that I'm a father, I do some of the same things that he did and uh, avoid some of the the dangers uh, that he warned of. So three items uh, come to mind uh, about his example. One is uh, fixing houses. two, cutting trees, and the third one, hunting, which uh, these have provided some much uh, fatherly wisdom uh, for my own life. In the summer, uh, spending summers in Houghton in the the 60s and 70s for a young person could mean unemployment, 
and boredom, frankly. To address these problems, Dad created jobs for us children, and he paid us well. He would buy an old house, have us help him fix it up with a plan to sell it for a profit when it was finished. I think the profit was slim, but the benefits were great. He kept us all employed. We worked together as a family to complete a project, and we learned new skills in demolition and construction, and we learned the value of hard physical work. I've, like, I've tried likewise to provide employment for my, my own children uh, in my uh, medical practice. Uh, I give them responsibilities uh, and teach them new skills. Mom and Dad, in their later years, stayed fit by cutting and storing firewood from their, their wood lots. Uh, I asked Dad a few times to, to bring a chainsaw when he was uh, visiting um, our home near Brantford, Ontario, because I had some dead trees that needed uh, cutting, and I knew he had, had the skill and, and uh, the caution to be able to do it. He was very cautious when using a chainsaw. He would meticulously plan how to fell a tree so no one would be injured. And I don't believe he ever injured himself or anyone else with his chainsaw activities. His extreme caution made me just a little apprehensive about using a chainsaw myself, but taking his lead about careful use, I can now cut down my own ice storm damaged trees with, with more confidence. So the third item, Dad did a little deer hunting, although this activity did not last long, because some 25 years ago or so, he shot himself accidentally in the leg. It took uh, months of recovery, and after he, re after he recovered, he offered uh, no opinion about the safety of hunting. <laughs> but, but I don't hunt. Dad exhibited many other qualities which I aspire to emulate. He stayed involved in community service, participating on the church board, the town board, the Houghton Academy board, Rotary, Gideons, and Habitat for Humanity. He stayed in touch with old friends as well as easily made new friends. He was humble, honest, hardworking, innovative in his career, generous with his time and resources, interested in his family's well-being, loving to his wife, my mother, and committed to serving the Lord. Dad set a high standard for a life well-lived. As the youngest Hutton sibling, albeit by eight minutes, I had the distinct, the distinct advantage of the best parenting by mom and dad since they had worked out most of their mistakes by the time they got to Becky and me. Okay, not really. In fact, you might be inclined to think that the surprise of twins at 40 might have been enough to put mom and dad over the edge after dealing with my four 
unruly older siblings. Becky gets a free pass, of course. That's how it goes with twins. But Dad, he rarely seemed overwhelmed or too tired or too busy to make time for us. He loved all of us collectively, but also made time for us individually. And that was so important to me. I share many of the same fond memories that Nancy Joe and Tim recalled. Sunday afternoon hikes, horsey back rides on Dad's back, and then cramming six kids into the Ambassador Station wagon, camper trailer in tow for extended summer vacation trips, though some might question the sanity of that decision, and employing us six kids in the fixer-up home improvement projects. Dad's commitment to his family was unwavering and measured with a generous dose of time. But I treasure a few distinct memories and experiences not shared by my older siblings, like the trips to the Houghton Inn for ice cream, just Dad and me, or sitting on his lap, driving, in quotation marks, the car around Fancher Loop Drive, a Fancher Drive Loop, long before my feet could reach the pedals. His hands shadowing mine over the steering wheel to make sure I didn't make some careless right or left-hand turn going around the bend. By 13, Dad had put me in charge of lawn care at the Rushford property. Acres of mowing and free reign of the garden tractor and a great hourly rate to boot. I think Tim had mentioned $5 an hour. I think I was getting at least 7 by then, so... Um, Anyway, I was in my glory. By 14, Dad taught me how to drive the old 61 GMC pickup truck with a five-speed manual transmission. This definitely was the farmer coming out of him. My off-roading driving experience with Dad, well, it just didn't get any better than that for a 14-year-old. A dad who patiently endured the grinding of the gears as well as some very abrupt starts and stops because he saw the bigger picture of what really mattered. Time with his son, teaching him important lessons and skills in life that can best be taught by a dad who cares, who's willing to take on some risks, and who celebrates with your successes. I can't take credit for remembering this next experience, since Becky and I were only two, but I do have pictures to prove it. And I'm very sure that Becky and I were the only ones subject to this type of intervention for our safety, so we were told. Here is the scenario. Setting up camp at Yellowstone National Park on one of those cross-country treks, my more capable brothers and sisters helping out and exploring the wonder of the park, no doubt, while Becky and I are each tethered to a tree by a long rope attached to harnesses worn by the two of us. This was not an isolated occurrence of confinement, either. <laughs> By a leash, I might add. Tim was right. Dad was a cautious man. But this was taking it to a whole new level. Jumping from tethered to trees to cutting trees, the launching of the father-son firewood business during my high school years yielded countless hours of time with Dad, sawing down trees, learning the finer art of splitting Gnarly, knotty logs with a splitting mall, stacking and delivering many cords of firewood. Most memorable, perhaps, 
was roasting hot dogs huddled together around the blazing campfire on a blusterous and cold January afternoon after a morning session of cutting and stacking firewood. Not a lot was said, but I was happy and content being with my dad and he with me. I never questioned my father's love. Those words, I love you, were not often spoken by my father, but seldom questioned because dad was a man generous in his love toward us. Generous also with his time, with his affection, with his patience and gentleness. Gentleness, I'm reminded of not many weeks ago and over the past few years in his decline, as he would oftentimes acknowledge the tender care of care providers, um, tending to his needs. Um, he would take their hand and just lovingly caress it. I know Becky was a recipient many times of uh, the handhold and the gentle kiss, and he would say, I love you. And that, that typifies uh, the dad that, that we embrace and love so much. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving me a father whose sermons were well-lived and easily embraced. I'm Rod, and uh, Tim, I always thought I was the metal child. But, uh, I, I guess it depends on how you do the math. Um, this is Psalm 127, and it contains the well-known phrase, blessed, are, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Um, I often heard Mom quote this psalm, and sometimes it sounded a little ironic when she said it, but um, most of the time we knew that our parents took great pride and great joy in, uh, in their children. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. We appreciate those remembrances from Lindell's children. We want to give you the opportunity to share some of your brief remembrances as well. We do have a, a handheld microphone so that we can all hear better. Just hold that real close to your mouth, uh, and that will help the people running the sound system right in the back here. Garrett. One of the uh, just hold it real close. 
I'm one of the seniors here, and one of the things I want to remind you all, Thursday morning we still, about two of the three of us, have a prayer meeting, starting by Alan Shea, and Linda Hutton was one of those from the business and the community who always came to prayer. We read the scripture together, and he always would pray and praise his Lord. So he was every day a man of prayer. Thank you. Uh, Philip Stockton here. The uh, family asked me if I would share a few words. I was thinking about that. It's a real privilege to do, and it may be because outside of his family, I probably spent more time with Lyndall than any other person <laughs> in the community. My earliest memory of, of Lyndall Hutton was when I enrolled as a student at Houghton Academy, and he was a business manager and teacher there at that time. And then our lives kind of parted for a few years. I went through college and left town, but when I came back, in the early 70s, I soon found myself serving on Houghton Community Association board, and Lyndall was a member of that, and that began a common <clears throat> working together <clears throat> on different boards and communities for 30-some years until he was no longer capable of, of serving in those capacities. Uh, after we got acquainted on the community association, my next relationship with Lyndall was as a he was a parent of my students at the academy. Sorry, I have no good stories to share in that regard. <clears throat> the Hutton children never required visits to the principal's office. <laughs> uh, Tim once got a, in a soccer game at Belfast, got a yellow card, but I never heard from parents about that. So, uh, and then Lyndall took on the responsibilities of the town assessor and uh, honed his real estate skills. On that, he also became a member of the Houghton Academy School Board, was secretary of that organization for many years. We worked together there. In the early 80s, I joined the town board, soon became the town supervisor, and when we had an opening on the board, I appointed Lyndall to fill that vacancy, and then we served together in that capacity for many years. His real estate work uh, developed greatly up in the Rushford Lake area, and uh, any of you that have been involved in local town government here, there are three main issues that surface continually, dogs, roads, and Rushford Lake. Uh, Lyndall was wise in dealing with all of them. I observed Lyndall in these varied settings and capacities. He always was a man of integrity with a servant's heart. He was extremely generous with his time and money. I never saw Lyndall in a hurry, but he always moved with a purpose. Another thing we shared, neither of us excuse me, would ever be in contention for the award for best handwriting. <laughs> Lyndall was a model of quiet, effective, faithful service. He loved his Lord, his family, and his community. I am blessed to have lived and served these many years with Lyndall Hutton. Thank you. Thank you. Tim, you, uh, you suggested that uh, Lyndall was safe with a uh, chainsaw. Uh, they say that an apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I, 
I can assure you that Willard and I spent a winter in college trying to kill each other felling trees. Um, so that lesson, at least, was not learned particularly well. Um, a few months ago, I shared with all of you, and the family especially, the great honor and privilege it was to grow up uh, both in and around the Hutton family. And I felt it only fair, after extolling all the great contributions that Ruth had made to my life, that I give equal due to Lyndall. And as you've all said, he didn't draw attention to himself. In fact, I, I can say that probably in the entire time that I was at their house, I probably heard Lyndall say about 10 words the entire time. But I think of the contributions he made. Houghton was really, really good, and I think it still is, at producing Ruth Hutton's. Great leaders, people who have lots of advice and guidance and great wisdom, and they all like to be chiefs, and Houghton is full of chiefs. But one of the things that I don't think Houghton produces quite so well is soldiers and servants. And Lindell was that rare working servant, the guy who just did all the grunt work and did it so faithfully. And for me, I can't read a Robert Frost poem, Mending Wall, or Apple Picking, or any of the others which would have made Ruth so proud that I know, without thinking of the one Vermonter that I know, and that was Lyndall Hutton. And I always picture him as the protagonist in all the poems, <laughs> doing what needed doing. And I think of the legacy that Lyndall has left, and my dear friend Willard, I argued with him so much about why he would just do what you were supposed to do, and why he would just let people direct him and lead him. And uh, I even was upset that he ruined our Saturday mornings because all the money he was making mowing lawns, we couldn't play. Uh, and it was very offensive to me uh, that he had a job when he was five. Uh, but I can say this, as I have watched all of the Lyndall Hutton children grow, it astounds me how you have become servants in his right. And when I think of Ruth and Lyndall together, I, I think of them as sort of a marriage made in heaven, servant leaders. And when I think of what they have done to you, their children and their grandchildren and the next generations, I think that they have left a marvelous legacy and, and you all should be very proud and thankful for what you have inherited from them. And I'm proud of you. Thank you. I wasn't going to say anything, but after Jamie... Uh made those statements, I'm going to tell you a little funny story. Um, Jeremy, you can tell us, what years were you in, in Germany? So, uh, Lyndall and Ruth had come up to Ontario, we're living in Ontario there, and our job was to drive them to the Toronto airport so they could catch their flight to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to um, visit Jeremy and Lisa and their young children. And we stopped to get some supplies, a little plaza along the way, and stopped at a drugstore. And uh, Lyndall slipped away. Um, we weren't paying attention. And then we got in the car, and we're on the 401, which is 16 lanes. And a very many of you have probably taken it. It's very intense. And suddenly we hear Ruth yelling in the back seat about someone's eating peanuts. So Lyndall had bought this giant jar of planter's peanuts, and he had quietly 
opened the jar, slipped them into his mouth, was sucking on them, and once Ruth started yelling, he was laughing. (laughs) So Tim's in the front seat driving. He's laughing hysterically. I'm laughing hysterically, and I, you know, we're not sure. But I, I just, Jamie, I want you to know, Lyndall was always in control. He was a leader. <laughs> Over here. The other day, Nancy Joe called and wanted me to say a few things because we were one of the ones that was neighbor to, to Lyndall in Vermont. So I've been acquainted with him for probably 70 years. And, but I didn't know him until we moved to Houghton and started working with him in a one-to-one basis. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting in some of my students and his students would understand this But his mother was my first four-grade teacher and taught him also. And she taught handwriting to both of us, or tried to. (laughs) I think that was the best way of saying it. And I know students would say, you know, you two fellows have handwriting that's a lot alike. We had the same teacher, but it didn't work. It just didn't work. Lyndall and Ruth, I remember when Ruth moved into the area, she was Miss Fancher. And she came to the schools, to the school where I was at, and taught Bible studies about once every two weeks in the school. And then after they were married, uh, Lyndall and Ruth picked up my brother and myself and took us to church in Sunday school. As a result, I became saved. And I can say this. You know, little things result in big things. And Lyndall was one that would do a lot of little things right. And I think we've been hearing about that. And the result are big things. And so it's a challenge to each one of us. Maybe we ought to look at doing the little things faithfully. Because God will take care of the big things. Thank you. I'm going to stand up here, not because I'm brave and bold, but because I want to see the family, too. Um, My name is Gwen, and I was a caretaker, as most of you know, for Lyndall for the last year and a half. One of those who helped to care for Lyndall and for Ruth um, during the last phase of their lives. And I just want to let you know what a great um, privilege and um, pleasure that was. Um, your dad, your grandpa, was such a sweet, kind, gentle man. And I loved being with Lyndall and, and, and the family. And um, I remember asking Becky once, I'm like, Becky, was your dad always so sweet and gentle? And she said, yes, just not so demonstrative. Because it's true, my my experience with Lyndall, um, he loved to be touched. I loved to touch his face, 
we had held hands, he often kissed my hand, and it was just such a precious, gentle experience. And I remember um, the one thing which was so cute, um, once he picked up my hand and kissed it, and he turned to me and said, I don't know who you are, but, <laughs> but he said, but I love you. And um, I just thought, well, isn't that just the Lord to, to love the strangers, you know? And, and um, it just was such a gift to my life. And I just wanted to let you know the preciousness um, of your dad and grandpa has deeply touched my life. And I, I miss this dear man. Thank you. Going over here to the right. Thank you. Hi, I'm Marvin Achilles. I'm his brother. So there wasn't a time in my life that I remember that I didn't know Lyndall and Ruth Hutton. Uh, growing up on the neighboring farm, uh, then our families had such a long relationship. My grandmother my mother's mother and Lyndall's mother, Glenn Hutton, were best friends. Lyndall's sister, Elsie, and my mother were best friends. Lyndall's other sister married to my mother's brother, the Uncle Paul Ferris, who you heard about earlier. And so time has gone on, and in 1997, when my family and I moved here to uh, western New York, and bought a home in Higgins, we used Hutton Realty. And it was a great experience. While we were doing the uh, home settlement, uh, the attorney representing us uh, said, who's your realtor? And I said, Lyndall Hutton. He said, he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So that faithful service, once again, resulted in a very, very good experience for us when we moved in a, a nice uh, transition to living in Western New York. So, uh, family, uh, you should you should remember good things about your dad and your grandfather. Thank you. Anyone else? I met Lyndall in 1985. I had just been appointed as principal in Belfast Central School. And I got a call one day, and of course I had just finished my administrative coursework, and I knew exactly the law for schools. And I had finished that coursework and got a call one day after I was appointed saying, um, I'm coming to your school to give Bibles to the fifth graders. And, of course, anybody who took that coursework knew that you weren't supposed to hand out Bibles in public school. And I talked to my superintendent, and he said, oh, you've got to meet this man. He's wonderful. Don't worry. Just go with him to the classroom. I accompanied Lyndall to that fifth-grade classroom in 1985, and he quietly explained what a Gideon was, talked to the young people about his passion for God and for God's word, and then passed out a Bible to each of the students. 
And when we got back to my office, he said, I want you to become a Gideon. And I said, geez, Lindell, I'm so busy. But when I retire, I retired in 2002, and Lindell was still passing out Bibles at Belfast Central School all those years. And every time I go to a school, I think of myself as Lyndall Hutton's disciple. It's a privilege to pass out those Bibles. And I just thank Lyndall for all the lives he's touched, the lives of children. And we don't know when that child picks up the Bible what a difference that Bible may make in the life of that child. And it makes me think he was being a farmer even then, planting seeds with God's word. And I just praise him for being who he was, uh, an exceptional individual. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing today. And I want to encourage you, whether you spoke or not, to take a moment and perhaps write a card a letter, an email, phone call to uh, one or more of the family members. Maybe you have a story that comes to your mind later or just some way of encouraging them about uh, their dad, their grandfather, and his influence on your life. I'm reading one of my dad's favorite psalms. I remember him reading these, this psalm to us, family devotions. And I'm reading, using a Bible that my mom gave to my dad 10 years ago. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I'll say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
Please be seated. As you have heard today, Lyndall was a man of many talents and interests. Did a variety of things in his life and most all of them with a high degree of success. He moved in a variety of circles and you got the sense that he felt at home in each one of them. Growing up on the farm, Lyndall learned early the joy and the wonder of God's creation. And as you heard, particularly the wonder of trees. He uh, knew a lot about trees. He passed that knowledge on to his children, teaching them the names of trees and how to recognize and identify trees. He loved maple syrup, and when he had the opportunity, would uh, tap and make syrup as much as he might be able to do that. As the family was sharing with me about Lyndall's love of trees, I couldn't help but think of Scripture and all of the biblical references to trees. Genesis describes God's creation story, and right there in the middle of the garden are trees. Trees producing fruit for the nourishment of God's creatures. Isaiah speaks about trees rejoicing over the splendor of God, so much so that they clap their hands in adoration and praise. In the New Testament, we find Jesus coming to earth, and in the words of Peter, his life ends on a tree for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we come to the end of the story, to Revelation, to the bookend opposite of Genesis, we find trees populating the new heaven and the new earth. They are a gift of God to his people for the healing of the nations and as a symbol of his eternal grace. Is it any wonder then that in the great book of God's people, in the worst, this great worship book, in the, in the very first song, in the very first psalm, we find these words. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. When I read this psalm, I think of Lyndall. As we heard, Lyndall possessed that quiet yet passionate strength of one whose heart's desire is to delight in God and in God's word. Lyndall's passion and desire was to know God and to follow the will of God. And his yearning was to be a tree that developed the good and positive fruit of God's love and mercy, kindness, and holiness. And I think we would all agree that he was pretty successful in that quest. Lyndall was not perfect, and we all know that because we are all acutely aware that no one is perfect. But he was a man of integrity, a man of courage, a man of optimism and hope, a man who represented Christ in all kinds of situations, in the church, in his home, in government, in the wider community. He was a tree planted by streams of water bearing good fruit. 
But I want to be perfectly clear because I'm convinced Lyndall would want us to be perfectly clear. That he was the man he was that we heard stories about and that we knew. Because early on he made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And that decision shaped everything else that he did in life. His marriage to Ruth, being the father of his children, his grandchildren, his work, his relationships, everything. You know, it makes me think of Jesus, who tells his disciples that a good tree will not bear bad fruit, and that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What we are is what eventually comes out of us. Our behavior, our passions, our desires identify us. I remember taking a class in college that included a section on identifying trees. I grew up in cities. I didn't know anything about identifying trees. We were given this little booklet to help us make those identifications. I wish I still had it because I still don't know much about identifying trees. But I remember in this book that it didn't say a lot about the trunk or the branches. It's focused primarily on the leaves. And using this booklet, you began to, to narrow different kinds of leaves. And this leaf, it was this, if it was this leaf, it would take you down that path. And if it looked like this, it would take you down that path. And it began to break those down until eventually you came to this tree that was before you. And I think that's really what the psalmist is telling us here. What you see on the outside is a direct reflection of the nature on the inside. In the second half of this psalm, the writer presents the perspective of those who live disconnected from God's nourishing streams. And instead of being trees that bear good fruit, they wither. They're blown away like chaff that's separated from the wheat. And when the day of reckoning comes, they're in jeopardy. But those who have lived for Christ are eternally prosperous and blessed by God. It's this very promise that makes today different than it might be. Because even as we grieve today, even as we feel the sense of loss and pain, we come today with hope and even a sense of joy. Because we know that Lyndall is with Jesus. And Lyndall is not with Jesus because he was a good person. He was a good person because his life was all about Jesus. And the relationship that started when he was young is now coming to its fulfillment in eternity. One of the great joys of today is knowing that Lyndall is now free from the bondage that held him in its grip particularly the last few years. Though he was still loving and kind, as you heard, he was no longer the vibrant man that we knew him to be. He was trapped in the deterioration of his body, but now he's free, totally, completely free. And though we don't know exactly what takes place in heaven, I can't help but believe that he and Ruth are celebrating their reunion together as they worship the one who redeemed them and made them new and real and alive. It's because of Jesus in Lyndall's life that grief and death do not have the last word today. 
It's because of Jesus in Lindell's life that though he is no longer with us, we know he's with Jesus. It's because of Christ in his life. We have complete assurance that though death brings us sorrow, it brings him relief and freedom and joy. And despite our loss, we can't help but celebrate his gain. He is celebrating with his Savior. He is receiving his eternal reward. And it is because of Jesus in Lindell's life and hopefully in ours that though we are separated today, one day we will be united in God's eternal love. On the morning that Lindell died, some of the family were gathered around his bedside and it was evident that the end was near. Lindell's grandson, Seth, was reading scripture. He began with Psalm 100. And he read Psalm 100 and 101, 102, 103. At the end of 103, he stopped. And they all started to sing. That great hymn of our faith, O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his power and his love. By the time they got to the end of that song, the end had come. And after a few moments, Seth began reading again. And he read Psalm 104. It was so powerful and meaningful for them to hear these words. A little bit later, Becky was looking through the hymnal and came to that hymn that they had been singing And of course, she paused on that page, looked down at the reference to that hymn and saw these words, Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 104, verse 1. And it was such a powerful confirmation that Lindell's life and his death were in God's hands. That God was present with this family in their grief and that all the promises of God are true and trustworthy and good. And the calling on our lives today is to be one of those trees planted by, nourished by the streams of God. God's desire for us is that having witnessed what a living, fruitful, Christ-like tree looks like, that we want him to make us one of those trees too. So that whatever life throws at us, whatever struggles we may face, whatever stuff comes against us, we know and trust in the goodness and the grace of God in our lives, as Lindell did in his. On this day of death and grief, I pray that the words of the psalms we've read and the words of the songs that we have sung and the words of the faithfulness of God would fill our hearts, our minds, every part of our being. That as we open our hearts to God, May we know the depths of his peace in us. 
and experience the heights of his love for us and know the joy of his life that he created each one of us to live. Amen. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.